Hello, good evening, and welcome to the locker room here on Indie Live Radio, the number one sports show. Looking at sport in Scotland and in everywhere else. Welcome to the show. Um, if you want to email us, you can do so through our email. Funnily enough, that's why it's called email. Um, at is lockerroomindielive at gmail.com. Com. That's indie indie uh, sorry locker room locker room indie life at gmail.com and we've got a busy show as always and I'm joined tonight by who else but um oh yeah Matthew hi Matthew <laughs> hi Michael I'm uh, <laughs> still recovering after a big big weekend of sport last weekend <laughs> honestly I, I still am in shock about what happened uh, at Twickenham so I'm just recovering my senses from what was a brilliant weekend. Yeah, Matt Matthews goes back from Quicken. No, he's not. He's not. Um, don't um, get the police on the phone. No, he's not. He, he watched got on the telly two meters away. Um, but yeah, a good weekend for Scotland. Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, come on to speak about the rugby and a wee bit. Yeah, but yeah. Um, what what was the score again? Um, okay, so um, but also last weekend as well was having rugby football, but we had your Super Bowl as well, Mafia, last Sunday, and you stayed up. Yeah, I was up till about five, half five on Monday morning watching the ultimate week or the definitely the ultimate weekend in NFL's uh, calendar. And I have to say, it was it was well worth staying up for because I know some people have criticised this game. Um, for maybe not being as close as we thought it might be or um, the fact really that there was a shock on the cards and Kansas City didn't manage to turn up offensively. Um, but I thought the the man of the... I thought there was men of the match, actually. I think Tom Brady was the man of the match overall. He ultimately steered the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to a comfortable, a very comfortable 31-9 victory over the Kansas City Chiefs and that extended his record in Super Bowl wins to seven uh, which might never, ever be um, equaled. But I thought the defence for Kansas, uh, sorry, for Tampa Bay were just unbelievable. And I thought they ultimately were the men of the match because they were up against Kansas City. They were up against probably the best quarterback in the league, Patrick Mahomes, um, who, who they were favourites to win. Uh, but the defence managed to stop, Tam- stop Kansas City getting any touchdowns. They held them to nine points overall, um, three field goals, so therefore I thought that you know they were ultimately the man, men of the match, and held the best offense in the league, um, unbelievably so. But you know, again, um, Tampa Bay had to go out and win it. Uh, Tom Brady threw three touchdown passes um, and managed to rack up a score of thirty-one. So at forty-three years and one hundred and eighty-eight days. Tom Brady became the oldest player to play in the biggest game in US sport. And he also became uh, the oldest to win it. But he also became the only one of the only quarterbacks along with Peyton Manning to win the quarterback, to win as a quarterback with two different teams. So that's him obviously one with the New England Patriots and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, and I think now he can he can really be seen, I think, as the greatest NFL player of all time. I think he's He's proven that time and time again uh, he can come up in the big games 
with the big performances. Um, and I thought he well and truly believed it. But I don't know. I don't know if he saw after the game. He had a well deserved. They they all had a well deserved party on the boat in Tampa Bay. There wasn't a lot of um, social distancing going on. <laughs> but Tom Brady, I think, had a little bit too much to drink. So there was a point where he had uh, uh, the Lombardi Trophy in his hands, and he managed to. It shows you how good this guy's arm is. He managed to throw it from one boat to the other. Um, and thank God, it, number one, reached the other boat, and number two, yeah, it was caught, because otherwise it would have ended up in the ocean, and they'd had to get people in to get the, the trophy back. But also, when he left the boat, he was a bit worse for wear and had to be basically carried off the boat. And so uh, there was know, that. It just... <laughs> I don't know if you saw his Twitter feed after the game, but he said it went swimming the well. <laughs> well, it did. It did. do you know what though? It, do you know what though? It definitely did. It, if there's one guy who deserves that, uh, I think it's Tom Brady because you know he is the greatest professional athlete I think we've seen in the history of American sports. Definitely, um, he he definitely will be in the Hall of Fame as probably the best quarterback of all time. Um, and every single year, I think this this guy I think is seen to be maybe finished. Or he seemed to be a quarterback that's carried by his coach or carried by his team. But ultimately what this guy does um, is win over and over again. And I think he just deserves every every sort of compliment he's going to receive on the basis of this because um, he, is, he is definitely um, unbelievable. Um, and like I said, they weren't, they weren't favourites coming into this game. Everybody thought Patrick Mahomes would out-throw him. Everybody thought he would outrun him. Everybody thought it was dead certain that Mahomes was going to be, you know, the, the best player in the in the in the Super Bowl after getting rewarded by the ten-year contract last July, and here it's the forty-plus-year-old uh, quarterback from New England. That everybody thought that was finished, that uh, that won the game for for Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So, you know, fair play to them. It was just, I think it was just a surprise. I think how well. Um, Tampa Bay played, but I think as well, Kansas City were disappointing. You know, I think Gronkowski put the Bucks ahead and we were all waiting for the Chiefs to pull back. But the Chiefs never got going. You know, they gave away penalty after penalty. Uh, they, they gave away, they, they dropped some unbelievably easy catches that normally you'd expect Kansas City, to che- Kansas City Chiefs to catch. So I think for them, they'll look at it and say, well, it was a one-off game. It was pretty poor will come back and the Kansas City Chiefs will come back but Sunday was definitely a Tampa Bay show and it was definitely Tom Brady's show it was definitely Gronkowski's show uh, but the man of the match was the, the defence who were unbelievable So that that's uh, that, I know everybody's sad to hear about the NFL that's it finished till is it August Matthew? Well, right now, see, it's a strange one because with COVID, we don't quite know what's going to happen. It's, it's one of these unknowns. Normally, what happens at this point is, you know, March March time, we see free agency, which players in the NFL can start to move around, start to move around teams uh, or contracts run out and things like that. So we see free agency. And then in April, end of March, sort of April time, we start to see the draft. And the draft is where the best college players, um, in, obviously in college football, go through their paces first and foremost to see if um, if they meet the standard for the NFL. And then the draft itself is when the be- the worst team from the NFL last year onwards choose the best players that the college has to produce. So I think this year, Jacksonville Jaguars have the first choice. Um, 
and they'll probably go for a quarterback, but there's a few decent quarterbacks going around the draft this year. So in April time, we can hopefully talk about the draft last year. Normally what happens is they have a big show um, and thousands upon thousands of fans attend this. But uh, last year it was online on Zoom. So Mm. it may well be in April. We have another Zoom draft, which will be quite interesting. Uh, And then obviously we move on then to July, the training camp's open again. And August is when we have the the friendly matches start. But obviously last year we didn't have any friendly matches because of COVID, so the league started in September. So I don't quite know how it's all going to play out, but normally, yeah, normally we're looking at March time, things start to get moving again. And hopefully, even though COVID's still in there, hopefully, um, hopefully we do see that again. But I suppose there was two things as well from this game, actually, that were quite interesting. Number one, the halftime show. Uh this year, I, I couldn't remember his name. My, my daughter would kill me because it was the weekend performed at halftime. And I don't know. So for me, it was a strange one. I, I realised I was getting old, Michael, because I didn't enjoy it. But, uh, you know, this, <laughs> this halftime show is normally the biggest, biggest occasion in sport. Um, even Well, just because normally you have the big performance. So you think about Lady Gaga. Uh, he she dived off the roof at, at the NRG Stadium, or Katy Perry riding a lion into the ground, or you had Diana Ross um, soaring through the roof again. You also had that infamous one where um, Janet Jackson something popped out that shouldn't have. Um, so we so we leave it at that. <laughs> Two lions, maybe. Um, <laughs> so fingers gave it away. <laughs> but you know the weekend was on it this year uh, and I think you know performance wise it was okay it was a 12 minute show it was watched by you know millions upon millions there was also cardboard cutouts obviously on the ground because it was socially distancing mm. um, it was it was a weird gimmicky performance I didn't particularly enjoy it but from what I understand from you know younger people it was supposedly quite good so the weekend put on a big show um just at halftime, which everybody was crowing about. I, I think, even though I didn't enjoy it, I also started to walk the dogs at that point, so I missed it. Um, but to end off with some Super Bowl stats, um, <laughs> just to end off the season, and I promise this is the last of it, um, <laughs> would you believe Tom Brady now has now... <laughs> you're laughing. Tom Brady now has more Super Bowl wins than any NFL team, would you believe? So he's actually won more Super Bowls than any team, full stop. Uh Rob Gronkowski became the first man to make at least one catch in five Super Bowl appearances. So he's a tight end. He always tends to play well, obviously, with Tom Brady. So he became the first man to make at least one catch in five different Super Bowls. Uh, Brady, and, like I just said, Brady and Gronkowski have connected for five passing touchdowns in Super Bowl history. And that beat the previous record of four with Joe Montana and Jerry Rice. So Brady and Gronk at it again. Brady and Gronkowski have also combined for more postseason touchdowns than any other quarterback, receiver, tight end duo of all time, which is 14. Um, and at 68 years and 127 days, Bruce Arians became the oldest coach to win a Super Bowl. And also, this game saw the largest gap between quarterbacks in Super Bowl history of 18 years and 45 days between... Um, Brady and Mahomes. So there are some stats for the for a Super Bowl that was I found I found enjoyable. Um, and well done the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah, well, well done. Yeah, and Matthew's very happy about that. I think 
that's team one um, as well. Um, so, well, do you know what? I, do you know what? I do. I do like Kansas City Chiefs, but it was just good to see Tom Brady show what he can do. I think that was the thing he said. So many critics. I think it was good for him to show show the critics who was boss. Yeah, so the critics who's boss. Right, Matthew. Um, <laughs> sorry, that was a <laughs> joke. Um, sponsored by me. Um, okay, let's move on now because it's been a quite a busy week in Scottish football. Of course, it was games du- during the week, but also we're going to um, start with some breaking news. Well, say breaking news, Matthew, but I came out yesterday about the sex abuse scandals uh, in terms of um, Scottish football teams. Yeah, I mean, I think this topic's always quite difficult to talk about. Um, and obviously we have to talk about it because it's such a, a an important thing in people's lives, but obviously it's not something that we, we no. can, you know, brush over. I mm. think I think in the history of Scottish football and Scottish society and the world society, to be honest, I think it's been brushed over um, because people just didn't know how to deal with it. And I think it, while it's a difficult subject, I think it's important that it does get brought up now and people get the help they need um, and people also get the sort of punishment that they deserve. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Scottish football clubs have issued an unequivocal public apology to all of those who've been affected by historical child sex abuse. Um, and, you know, it heard, it heard personal accounts from 33 people stretching back to the 1970s. I mean, that's how far these have been going. And, and I'm in no doubt, sadly, that it was going on before the 1970s, but obviously we're talking to people who are still here and still alive. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, in the majority of cases, the Scottish FA found... You know, there wasn't a lot of concrete evidence of abuse at the time, but again, I think it was because people found it very difficult to talk about at the time. Uh, there was a lot of hearsay, um, there was a lot of discussion in the back, back whether people knew what was going on or thought they knew what was going on. Um, but people obviously didn't come forward at the time. There was suspicion, but they didn't come forward. But now people are coming forward, they are talking about it. Um, and now football clubs have not only, you know, issued an apology, the SFA as a whole have issued an apology, and rightly so, um, but they've, they've, they've done a review to see how that can, you know, how we can change things and how we can try and, you know, move things forward for the people in the past, but also to protect the people right now and in the future. Um, and, you know, this affected all clubs. I mean, I know certain clubs get a really bad rap for this, um, and rightly so, but this shows you how wide it is. You know, Rangers, Hibs, Motherwell, Partick Thistle, they were all named in the testimony. The Celtic Boys Club uh, featured as well, and they were all named in the testimonies of those who have survived or have since died but spoke about it previously. Um, so I think the apology was for that. Um, and, it, you know, the report also said that, you know, it was unbelievable that people had... Um, been exposed to such risk but clubs are now coming forward they are putting child protection um, procedures in place and now you know with, with you know with those procedures hopefully that won't happen again and if anybody does slip through the net, net with the child protection procedures in place children and younger adults will be in a lot safer place now than they ever were previously um, and I think yeah, even though it's sad for the people that have had to go through this I think ultimately 
it's a the positive that you can take from it is that now children who are in these clubs, whether it's professional or otherwise, the children and young adults who are now taking part in these uh, clubs are a lot safer and are a lot better protected now because of child protection protocols being in place. Um, but like I said, it's sad that we had to get to this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the SFA did say that there was 97 recommendations that have been made uh, for club individual clubs to, you know, give apologies to, give compensation to, but also to look at, you know, how we move on from this point. And yeah, 97 recommendations for clubs to do. Um, but also, interestingly, not only was child abuse mentioned in this, but, you know, Scottish football did mention that the review called for more to be done to tackle homophobia in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And when I was growing up, you know, and you were playing football, homophobia was, it was one of those things where you didn't mention it as a sort of discrimination. It was everyday language was based on that. And it was quite a scary atmosphere to live in if you if you did happen to be uh, gay because like any sort of insult that you might throw at somebody might have had a homophobic connotation to it and it was just an everyday thing. So I think that's something that was has been missed actually by football clubs and by society in general. So to tackle homophobia was actually something that I was quite pleasantly surprised Scottish football mentioned. Um, and I'm glad that it has done because it gives, it gives that sort of um, impetus to try and tackle that at Scottish football level. Yeah, I mean, but, oh, but yeah, no, sorry, no, go on. No, I, I was just going to say, I know that we, we spoke about the show yesterday, guys. We usually have a team meeting between me and you, and me and you. And um, we, when we were talking about this show, the story actually uh, came out, and we thought it was important to speak about it. Um, just to kind of like highlight the the kind of like different issues as well and raise awareness, but it's it's very sad how we've still got to go back in time and I mean and I mean go back in time very big time to to speak about these issues, but it's important that we that we can highlight these kind of like issues as well. Um, so yeah, because I, I mean I think the report the report is a you know, it's, it is an important thing to have, have brought up, you know, because I think for the survivors of, of child abuse that were in football, I think the report, um, even though it came at great personal and emotional cost to them, the report has gave, you know, validation to what they claimed was abuse at the time. And it has given validation to the fact that clubs have taken on board the abuse that happened and have, are actually trying to, well, first and foremost, admit it. And number two, trying to make sure that children today um, aren't at such risk because, you know, sport, I think sport was an easy target for for people, for, I mean, call it what it is, for predators, mm-hmm. um, and sport was an easy target. So I think, you know, for the survivors, it's important. I think it's important as well to note that sadly some people didn't survive this. You know, there was people sadly have committed suicide over it and, I have not managed to emotionally and physically and mentally survive uh, this torture and for them it's not it's it, do, it doesn't help the families as such but again it gives a bit of closure to it um, so it's hard for families obviously who have been left broken and the collateral damage for them personally is maybe too much mm. um, but like I said for future generations um, hopefully it gives some comfort to the fact 
that you know now clubs are putting things in place and are being forced to put things in place and should put things in place to protect children and to protect all those who are abused in sport and in one way or other, like we mentioned, homophobia. And I think it's very important and, you know, it is a difficult subject to think about and to talk about, but I think the right thing's finally been done um, and hopefully, yeah, hopefully it leads to a safer place for all our sportsmen and women. Yeah, um, so moving on to football now, um, well, we'll speak about the weekend's football in a minute, but just a bit of news that came out this week. I think it was um, Wednesday Fusky this week. Uh, the Highland and the Lower Leagues, East and West, South of Scotland League, Scottish Football uh, Football Leagues, that's a bit of a mouthful, so I'll say that again. The the Highland and the Lower League, East and West and South of Scotland Football Leagues, uh, Junior Football Leagues and the North Caledonian League has been suspended um, this this season. They're hoping to come back, but it's a a bit of a disappointment as well for, for these kind of leagues as well. And obviously, yeah, yeah. You're not hoping that. Sorry, you're ho- you're. I am not hoping that teams will fall because of this, Matthew. I mean, fair play to you. That was a mouthful. Um, yeah, well, well. I'm, I'm glad you were doing it rather than me. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think. I mean, this is. It. I kind of agree with Peter Headmanager Jim McInally on this. I mean, I've, I've been looking at lots of different views and opinions on on this subject and. I kind of agree with him. He sort of said or hinted that, you know, he should maybe maybe that the leagues lower down from the championship should just call it a day and put everyone out of their misery. I think that was mm-hmm. his words. Um, and I think I kind of, you know, it's the 12th of January, I think these restrictions came in. And obviously it's continuing, like you say. Um, I mean, to keep dragging this out, I think players need to know what they're doing. Um, they need to know mental health-wise, what they're doing. Clubs need to know financially what they're doing. And I think now maybe it's time just to say, you know, I don't think League One, League Two and lower than that is going to happen. You know, they were. Ha- I think they were less than halfway through an already cut season. I think there was a 27-game campaign due to be played. Um, they were discussing sh- shortening the 27-game season to 18 matches. Now there's talk of it maybe not getting played. Um, I think, to be fair, we should call it as it is and say it shouldn't happen um, mm-hmm. and I don't, I think to be fair I think it, it's not just you know to do with financial and mental health wise as well I think it's a Covid thing as well because obviously professional sports and, and fully professional sports in the Premiership and the Championship even they can they can create these bubbles so they can you know go into Covid bubbles, they can isolate themselves within that sort of club structure and because of that thank goodness COVID rates within football haven't been as big as I thought they might have been, to be fair. But by the time you get into League One, by the time you get into League Two, by the time you get into lower leagues, a lot of these players have part-time jobs. So not you can't really have these COVID bubbles there because you're going into the sport bubble, you're staying in the sport bubble, but then you're going out and you're being a plumber or you're working in a call centre or you're working in education or you're doing PE or you're doing whatever you're doing. And that bubble then bursts and it's, it's spreading. So... And I think that not only has an effect for League One and League Two and the lower leagues, but also the Scottish Cup, you know, because 
Um, another thing is happening is if the if the clubs lower down, the bubbles are bursting, and, and they're being more of or more at risk of COVID than the Premiership. How does that affect League One side if you're playing a Premiership mm. team? So the Premiership teams in the bubble and being tested, and the lower league teams obviously not in a bubble, and then coming into that game. Um, so I think it's becoming too complicated. I think it's too much of a risk now. Like I said, I agree with Jim McAnally. I think I think to be honest, it's time to maybe close this season where we're at. Um, we need to make sure that financially we're okay, which I think Scottish clubs are, thanks to obviously government funding and private funding now. I think clubs are financially secure. I think it's time we just call the league as it is lower down um, and just try our best to finish the Premiership and Championship seasons as best we can. And I think yeah. the Scottish Cup has to go. I wouldn't have played it last year. Um, once the fans weren't getting in, I wouldn't have played the Scottish Cup last year. Um and I wouldn't have played it this year. I think it was an unnecessary risk. So I think we call that as well. And we just try and plough on, finish what we can, finish safely um, and take it from there. Yeah. Um, before we dive into this weekend, so Omarju, um, something that we knew spoke about yesterday, Inverness has set a new club world, uh, a, a club world record. No, <laughs> Inverness has set a new <laughs> uh, club record attendance with no fans in the stadium because as you know a couple of weeks time I think it's next weekend Hearts are playing Inverness in the first division and the club has sold 700 in virtual tickets for the game yeah next weekend yeah the, the 26th of February so that's amazing to see that out, out with the old firm and out with the Premiership clubs as well, you know, um, and I suppose that would help kind of Inverness financially as well. Oh, definitely. I mean, I mean, Hearts, Hearts, fair play to them. You know, Hearts obviously were uh, well. The obviously the opinion is they could have felt that they were kind of. Um, you know, screwed over a little bit last year when they were relegated. Um, whether we thought they were or not, it's irrelevant. They felt that. So fair play to Hearts. You know, they've come up trumps. They've, this year they've been they've, they've supported their club in droves, um, and now they've shown that they can even support other clubs in droves too, like Inverness. So you know, fair play to Hearts because I don't think a lot of money of it obviously will go to Hearts themselves. This money will go to Inverness. It will support Inverness survive. And uh, fair play to clubs like Hearts because um, ultimately you're keeping clubs, smaller clubs, afloat. Um, so I think this was this was the right thing to do. It was a good thing to do. It's a lot of money uh, for people to put in who might not necessarily still be in work. Um, so I think it's they're, they're showing their love for football. They're showing their love for the club. They're showing their love for Scottish football. And um, it's things like this that will help Scottish football survive this crisis. Yeah, yeah, no, no, that that's good to see. And then talking about Hearts, Matthew, um, uh, before we speak about tomorrow's games, is a game on tonight. Hearts is away, as a way to Queen of the South, so that's a game on on the telly. Um, games tomorrow: um, Aberdeen, St Mirren, and the Premiership. Dundee United, Grevenskin, Murrayville, Kilmarnock, uh, Rangers is at home to. Sorry, um, Marwell is playing Hamilton, a local dabber there. Uh, Rangers is a, um, against Kilmarnock. And Ross County is playing Hibs, just going into the first of the now. 
a couple of games to tell you about there. Uh, is Arrow against Abroth, Jim uh, Fern against Gundy, Inverness against uh, Glen Morton to give it a Sunday name, um, Ross County against A United, and obviously there's one game on Sunday, Celtic will play St Johnson um, with a 12 o'clock kickoff. And I wanted to speak about Dungeon Nike and Livingston, Matthew. Uh, Dungeon Nike is on a bad run of forum at the moment. Um, I think the manager might be under pressure in a few games came, if not the now. But Livingston has is, is, uh, tasted the first defeat of the season. Uh, what was that last weekend? Because the game was called golf during the week. Um, they they were on course to win was it fourteen games and and they get beat so that's going to be an interesting game up at Dundee. Yeah, I mean, well, just quickly as well, uh, Hearts are obviously looking like they're going to come back up as well. So mm. you mentioned Hearts quickly, and uh, their their form has been pretty unbelievable. I think since uh, since being in the Championship, considering the upheaval that they've had to face and new manager and all these sorts of things, their their form's been unbelievable. And while, you know, some Hearts fans might not think that they're at their best, it looks like they're going to romp home the Championship, which is what we expected and, and fair play to Hearts. Livingston, Dundee United. Um, like you said, we gave Livingston a bit of a big up last weekend because, you know, Hibs were playing Aberdeen in the game of the weekend. We kind of thought Hibs might beat Aberdeen at Easter Road, and that turned out to be true. So therefore, Livingston had a massive chance on the form, like you mentioned, on the form that they were coming in on. They had a massive chance to close the gap on Aberdeen in fourth place. And lo and behold, they finally lose their first game for a long time, Um, which was a shock. It was a shock. Uh, But, you know, they've got a chance to make up for this against Dundee United. Dundee United are going into this with awful form, like you say. They've, They've lost three are the last five, but they did win their last game. Uh, and, you know, even they're a team that's just promoted. They're on their to one points. They're fighting for the top six. Even though their form's not been great, overall in the course of the season, Dungeon, and considering they've been without their top striker for a lot of the time as well this season, um, it's not been a wholly awful one for Dundee United. Uh, they'll survive. Like I said, they're still fighting for the top six, top six places. It won't be an easy... Um, an easy thing for Livingston to go and get the victory. But Livingston are, even though they had that defeat last weekend, they are still in the hunt for that top four. Um, and I can see Livingston going on and winning it because I think even though they've lost that first game, I think it will gear them up a bit. It will gear them up. The first loss was for a while was going to come um, and it came last weekend. So I think Livingston might have too much for Dundee United. Uh, but yeah, it's it's going to it's a, it's a sort of tasting county on Tannadice. It's not an easy place to go, as as many teams have found out. Such as Celtic, you know, it's not an easy easy place to go. Um, but even though Livingston was were beaten last weekend, and they've had a bit of a break now, like you say, having had uh, the midweek game postponed due to bad weather against Hamilton, I think Livingston will be gearing up to try and put that defeat right 
And I think for Dundee United, it's sad that it's going to be them on the receiving end. I can see Livingston uh, winning this game. What about the, the local derby, <laughs> Matthew uh, Marwell? Uh, and Marwell's on a good run of form uh, at the moment. Because, um, okay, they, they won during the week, they get beat by Celtic, but they get a decent point against Rangers uh, the, the, other, uh, the, the other week. But, um, no, I'm. I'm <laughs> Sorry, sorry about that. Yeah, Hamilton, that's how I meant kid. Hamilton, they 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 got a decent point against uh, Rangers last week. And I don't know about you, but we speak about it every year and um or every season. Everybody tips Hamilton a go down, but they played Rangers last week. Uh, now Rangers are running away with the league in Scotland at the moment. But it just shows you that Hamilton Cougar, the Cougar won that game, Matthew, because they had millions of chances to, to win that game. And it wasn't until, what was it, 94 minutes? They, they got a point. Yeah, I mean, Hamilton, I tell you, I mean, they kept going to the last the last kick of the ball. Um, they don't, what I will say about Hamilton is they don't lie down. They won't, they won't let you beat them easily. There'll be a fight. Um... And, you know, they've drawn two of the last five games. On paper, the record doesn't look that great. But when you look at the t- it's a strange one because the form is not that great for Hamilton. Like you said, they did draw against runaway leaders, Rangers. So that shows you what they can do. Um, and then, obviously, you look at the three defeats out of five and the other two were draws and you think, well, that's not great form for Hamilton. They're sitting on 20 points on the table. They're rock bottom. Um, but having said that, they've got two games in hand over teams like Ross County and Kilmarnock they have a game in hand over Motherwell Motherwell are still precariously placed, they're on 28 points, so they're still in a bit of danger of getting sucked into that playoff position um, if not the bottom position and a Lanarkshire derby, north-south Lanarkshire derby, it's very difficult to predict because even when Motherwell last season and the season before that have been doing quite well Hamilton have a tendency of going in and getting results against Motherwell so this game is quite a tasty encounter. Motherwell are in good form, like you say. They've won three of the last five. They look they look like they're looking up the way rather than down the way. But all it takes is a few results going against them and they could be sucked back into that relegation battle. And, you know, like I said, it's a derby. Form goes out the window, so you can almost ignore the last five, six games uh, for both of these teams. You can ignore the fact there's a new manager in charge of Motherwell. You can ignore all these things. It's going to come down to who wants it the most in this game. Um, and I honestly can say I don't know who's going to win at Far Park on Saturday because, like I said, Hamilton have picked up results against Motherwell that you would never have expected them to pick up before. And if Hamilton do go into Far Park and they do win, like I say, that sucks Motherwell straight into relegation trouble again. They're looking over their shoulders. So it's a big, big, big relegation game. It's a big, big derby in Lanarkshire terms and- on Saturday. And I think it's a, it's a game of the weekend, I think. Yeah, and it's a big game for Kamalka Ivox. Even though Kamalka's on a bit, uh, bad run of form, and Tommy Wright is the, the new manager at Kamalka, and they got off to the worst possible start against Motherwell at Rugby Park uh, during the week 1 0. But I was going to say, K Matthew, I saw the highlights, and um, uh, Kamalka were all over Motherwell. You know, the, the must have the, the best. Uh, best uh, chances of the game, yet they, they got beat 1 0. 
you know, so they go to Ibrox and that's a big game as well, go, going to Rangers. You, you would say that they, maybe they would have, what, 50, 40 or chance at Rugby Park, but because it's Ibrox, you know. Well, Kilmarnock, yeah. I mean, if this was at Kilmarnock, I would say it was more difficult than it is. I mean, going to Ibrox, I think, at this time is going to be very, very difficult because, you know, Rangers maybe got a bit of a shock at the weekend having drawn to Hamilton. I don't think they were fully expecting that. And you can see by the Rangers' faces, players' faces, that they weren't happy with the way that went. They weren't happy with their own performance. They, they know how much this title means to the Rangers fans. They know how much stopping 10 in a row means to the Rangers fans and they weren't happy with themselves and you wonder will Kilmarnock take the hit for that at the weekend and it's a, it's a tough one for Kilmarnock when you think about it because you know the other game Ross County Hibs you know Hibs are a difficult team Ross County could get beaten that one that sucks Ross County deep in trouble as well Kilmarnock going to Ibrox if Rangers beat Kilmarnock Kilmarnock are sucked down there and again that shows you you know Hamilton if Hamilton can get a result at Fur Park and Ross County and Kilmarnock lose Ibrox and against Hibs, that makes this relegation battle really four out of four people clubs fighting for two spaces. I know one's a playoff, but four teams fighting within two places, and that is going to be absolutely humongous coming up to the March April period. Kilmarnock have got a new manager. Normally, that results in a bit of a bounce. So you know, I thought, like you said, you know, I thought Kilmarnock probably had more than enough. Uh, to be encouraged by that first game at Rugby Park, even though Motherwell did win. I thought, you know, Kilmarnock failed to uh, score, even though they played well. That's the fifth time in six games they've failed to score, even though they controlled much of the game, like you said. And, you know, they did dominate, I'd say, the the count of shots on target and things like that. But, you know, they were wasteful. They didn't, like, they didn't score. And that's the worrying thing for Kamarnock. You know, can even though they're playing better, can they start to take the chances that their their play is is creating? Can they start to do that? And that would be my worry for Kamarnock because I can see them playing better. I can see them creating chances. I can see all that, but they just don't have somebody to put the ball in the back of the net. And when you're fighting relegation, that is a pretty big commodity to have as someone to score. And if you're not scoring, then you're in trouble straight from the off. Number one. And number two, that puts a lot of pressure on your defence to not make any mistakes because it's very difficult to get back into it. So, you know, I think against Motherwell, we saw Kilmarnock at their best and worst, really. And it's just, that would be my worry coming into Ibrox. That's my worry uh, generally. And, you know, Motherwell, you saw that, you know, even though they weren't at their best, uh, I thought Tony Watt was man of the match again. I thought he mm. was unbelievably good. They, they didn't, like I said, they didn't create as many chances, but they got the win that they needed. That's what you need. Kamarnock yeah. had a lot of the pressure, most of it, um, and didn't take their chances and therefore get beat. Um, so that's the worry for Kamarnock, I think. Yeah, I mean, especially this season, as you say, it wasn't Motherwell's best game, but um, as they say, it's a business business angle of the season, and it's all about getting, getting points on the board as well. Um, I just want to touch upon... Well, especially because, just sorry, Michael, just quickly, just especially because that's even, just what you said there was even more important because mm. it was Motherwell they were up against, you know, like yeah. if Kamarnock were playing one of the top teams, obviously, you can mm. live with that, but that result on uh, during the week gave Motherwell that chance to see the light at the end of the tunnel in regards to their relegation place, and, you know, if Motherwell can beat Kamarnock during the week, and if they do go on to beat Hamilton in the derby, that's Motherwell gone, 
for a lot of mm. teams surrounding them and then it comes down to three clubs fighting for two relegation positions so that's how big that result was at Bugby Park um, during the week Yeah, no, uh, and also that Hamilton Murrow game is maybe like a six-pointer as well uh, you know because um, I've never known two teams so close to each other uh, and Ranch are fighting at the bottom of the table, you know. Um, but yeah, that would be an interesting game. I just want to speak very quickly about the games at Ross County and Hibs. That that should be a good game as well because Ross County is a funny team, but they're they actually picking up results at the moment. And also uh, Aberdeen and St Mirren, obviously the game on Sunday as well. But what's your take on the Hibs game tomorrow? I mean, you always laugh at it when I say Yogi Hughes, but that's what I know him as. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I think since 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 he has came into that job, Ross County looked a different team. I thought they were in serious trouble before he arrived. I thought, you know, we, we were laughing about Hamilton. You know, I think I think I thought Ross County might have been the team that Hamilton would have saved Hamilton this year because Ross County were just so so poor. Um, but since John Hughes came in, Ross County have looked a better side. They show fight, they show passion. All right, they're still losing games. I mean, they've lost three of the last five, but they have won two of the last five, if that makes sense. So their form is either win or loss. And if you're going to lose half the time and win half the time, that's going to see you safe um, in the Scottish Premier League. So he's turning sort of defeats or draws into victories. Yeah, even though, like I said, they are, they are losing, but they are picking up wins too. And it's seen them claw back the point tally, really, from up to pulling Kilmarnock into it, you know, pulling Motherwell definitely into it until their win on during the week. And then, obviously, if they beat Hamilton, I think they'll be away. But they pulled Motherwell a little bit into it as well. Ross, Ross County will be a difficult place to go, um, especially when you're up against Hibs. And John Hughes, obviously, has been at Hibs for, was a manager at Hibs for a long time. He was successful with Hibs. He got them into many, countless UEFA Cups, um, he made Hibs a very, uh, very attacking team, very a pretty you know good team to watch, and he's trying to do that with Ross County. They obviously went there and beat Hibs at Easter Road as well uh, earlier on in the season. So Ross Hibs will be a bit wary of Ross County uh, coming into this game. They know it will be a difficult performance, but on the other hand, you know Hibs themselves in the last five have been very very good. Uh, they've won five. Or sorry, four of the last five games. Um, they've been on a real. They had they had a bit of a, a slump before in January, end of December into January. Like I said, they lost to Livingston, they lost to Ross County, uh, they struggled in a lot of their games. Um, but since that sort of turn of the tide, uh, since they got that that result at Celtic Park, you know, after um, the bye game, they've actually their form's been really really good, and they've turned into the side that I thought, I, or we think they can all be. And they've started to dominate that third position. I mean, we all always thought it'd be Celtic Rangers top two. We thought it'd be Hibs and Aberdeen three and four fighting for that gap, uh, fighting for those positions. And while Rangers have taken on the first first spot quite well, Hibs have started to move ahead in that fight for third position. Um, and I think they might have too much for Ross County going going on the, the recent form. They might have too much going up to Dingwall this weekend. But again, like I said, it's a tasty game. Ross County are fighting for their lives. Hibs obviously fighting for third place. It's not going to be an easy game. Um, and it, it'll probably come down to, I think, can Hibs get the goals really to to win the game? Because I can see Ross County scoring. 
I just think Hibs could maybe outscore Ross County. The what, uh, two more games, Matthew. Um, one manager under pressure at the moment is Derek McInnes. He is um, playing St Mirren at the weekend in St Mirren. Okay, they get beat off for Celtic during the week, but up until then, they beat they beat Celtic Park. Um, they beat Celtic Park. <laughs> they beat Celtic <laughs> a few weeks ago at Celtic Park, but also. They've been on a good run of forum. Um, so that's going to be an, an interesting game. But incidentally, um, I don't know if you saw the Aberdeen chairman this week coming out and backing uh, get Derek McInnes. I mean, I have to say, uh, Derek McInnes is probably the best manager Aberdeen have had for a long, long time. Since, arguably, Alex Ferguson, McInnes has been there the longest. And he's... See, the thing is, uh, Aberdeen have a certain budget. And he works within that budget, and nearly every year a lot of Aberdeen's players change because it's sad for them because obviously they can get the players in. Aberdeen can they can look good. Aberdeen are successful to a certain point, but then you know what happens is lower English team clubs come in, or say bigger Scottish teams come in and pick off Aberdeen's best players. So I think it's very difficult for Aberdeen to get consistency with their squad. It's very difficult for them to compete at the top level because they just can't keep their best players and that's why I feel sorry for Derek McInnes because this season has has been has been difficult for them with Covid they've lost some of their players through injury at the start they've lost players through transfers uh, later on in the season it's not been a stable year for Aberdeen yet they're fourth they're fighting for third place um, really arguably the best Aberdeen can do at the moment is third spot they're one place off that I think we have to be honest is what I think Aberdeen fans, I know they're complaining about Derek McInnes and I know um, they're not happy, but I think they need to be asking themselves really is, is this the best McInnes can do with Aberdeen with the budget he has? I would argue probably yes, give or take. This is the best Aberdeen can do. And if the Aberdeen fans expect more, then maybe they should be looking further up the chain at Pataudry for answers because... You know, if you have that budget and you are losing your best players to lower league English teams even, if you are losing your best players to these sorts of sides, what is the manager supposed to do? Because you, Hibs will suffer this the same because, you know, Hibs are doing quite well and they've, they've got goal scorers and like Nisbet, they've got players like Boyle, they've got players who can do well and Hibs look a really good team. What do you think is going to happen in the summer? Mm. These guys are going to be picked off. So then Hibs have a battle on their hands and Aberdeen maybe get a bit of consistency and move in third again. This is the problem teams like Aberdeen, Hibs, Dundee United, uh, Hearts even when Hearts come up. That's is the, that's, this is the problem these clubs have. Um, they're just never going to compete with Celtic and Rangers. The best they can hope for is third. And unless we get uh, uh, into a position where somebody has got money to challenge the old firm, they, this is the state that these clubs are going to be in. And that's why I'm not too angry with Derek McInnes because he's doing the best with what he has and I think that's probably a fair assessment. It's not what the Aberdeen fans want to hear by all means. I mean they think they're one of the biggest clubs in Scotland. They think they should be up there. I tend to agree with that given their history and things like that. Uh, this is disappointing but given the current state of Scottish football, this is the cycle teams like Aberdeen, Hibs, Hearts are in. In the game on Sunday at 12 o'clock, Matthew, there's only one game, St. Johnson against Celtic. Celtic went on a good run of form, you would say, three back-to-back wins, and 
um, decent performances out of them as well. But again, it's not going to be an easy game for Celtic up there because St. Johnson's on a good run at the moment and also the, in the, the League Cup final as well. So that the two Celtic would need to be up for this game. Yeah, I mean, well, we talked about St. Mirren, I suppose, you know, playing Aberdeen and things. And I think that on Wednesday night, I think we saw how difficult it was because of the temperatures. You know, St. Mirren, I think, are on a good run or were on a good run and Celtic came into that game on a good run too. We were waiting for a good game and the first half wasn't brilliant. But I think a lot of that was, and ultimately the result, I think, hinges on the fact that the pitch was so hard to read the first half was awful for St Mirren and for Celtic because nobody was really reading bounces, balls were getting away from people. And it was just because the pitch was so poor with the cold conditions and the snowy conditions that both sides struggled. And maybe, you know, the 4-0 win uh, that Celtic had wasn't a fully fair one on St Mirren because I don't think maybe St Mirren deserved to be on the on the balance of play beating 4-0. Um, but... That's why I think St Mirren might bounce back and obviously go on and maybe give give Aberdeen a bit of a run for the money up there in Pataudry because even though you know the result was 4-0, I think the weather did have an impact on that. For Celtic, you know, they did what they had to do. I think, like you say, they've been on a, a good run of form. It's frustrating. I mean, there's two sides of thinking about this. There's the side where you think Celtic are on a good run of form. They've won the last three. Uh, they've won four of the last five. That's good. Uh, it's a lot better than what they've been this season, and I think that's fair comment. What I would also say is, though, you know, where where's that been since August? You know, like the, the performance against St Mirren, they they got through the the bad pitch, they struggled to deal with it, but they got a great goal from Rogic, um, and I think that was the difference between the two sides in the first half. Really, I think. You know, while St Mirren and Celtic were struggling to deal with the bounce of the pitch, it shows you the quality of Rogic that he can just say right take the bull by the horns and score like a classy finish in very difficult conditions. Um, the second half, I thought Celtic got a lot better. Um, so while St Mirren won awful, I think when Celtic scored the second goal, you could see the sort of stress lifting off the side and Celtic looked like the team they did last season for much of it. You know, I thought they were unbelievably, uh, well, they tore St Mirren apart. I thought for the last, what, for three minutes in the second half, they just blew St Mirren away. And I think... I think that looked more like the old Celtic, definitely. It looked like the old Celtic from January, February, March last year. Um, and Neil Lennon must be pulling his head out because he must be thinking, how can we be so poor? Or, or how can you know? How can we as a side be so poor? And then obviously Neil Lennon manages to put a side out and does that. So mm. Lennon must be absolutely fuming with his side. Um, but there are Celtic are on a good run of form. I don't think I don't think they'll get close to Rangers again. I think the league's probably over. I think it is now about you know what Celtic do next. Uh, they travel to St. Johnson. Celtic just have to keep winning. It's like we said last week. You know, um, Neil Lennon to keep the vultures away at the moment just has to keep winning games, and I think that's what Celtic will have to do. Um, if there is, I think they're calling they'll call Rangers back a little bit. And you never know if Rangers do ever slip up. Just never know. But Celtic just have to keep winning games um, and seeing how it happens. Um, I think they've got Celtic got too much probably to defeat. I've got too much for St. Johnson. They probably will beat St. Johnson. Um, coming into that, the way the way it looked on Wednesday, I thought I thought they were really good. So I can't see St. Johnson stopping Celtic. But you just never know with the Celtic team this year. Mm. Which Celtic team will turn up? And yeah. St. Johnson, you know, just quickly, St. Johnson. 
you know, are in a decent run of form themselves. They've won three of the last five. They've drew one of the last five. If St. Johnston gets Celtic on a half day where they're not that bothered and they don't look interested, St. Johnston will do them trouble, give them trouble. Yeah, so I was going to say Celtic's a bit like a lift at the moment, Matthew. Have it up and down. So that's the thing, and it's frustrating. You like they're like a very poor lift that you know you can press the buttons and it's just, you just don't know. They'll never um, go. Um, well, well, Lennon's been trying to push their buttons all season. They're just not working, is it? So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think depending on what if Celtic turn up with the side that played St. Mirren, they'll beat St. Johnson. If they turn up with the side that played St. Mirren a few weeks ago, they'll get beat. It's just you just don't know what Celtic yeah. side will show. The, before we go on to speak about the rugby Six Nations and we're quite happy at the moment about the rugby, I guess to tell you that uh, the Australian Open is on at the moment and it's quite, um, you know, it's good to see sports back because a couple of weeks ago that tennis tournament might have been cancelled uh, because a lot of tennis player, players had the coronavirus and one player, uh, Andy Murray, um, you, you know Andy Murray, um, Andy Murray was tested for coronavirus and was tested positive and he was isolating, but I'm pleased to say that he is involved in the ATP Tour Championship in Italy at the moment and um, we wish him well with that one um, as well. Just a shame that he's not in the Australian Open, but there you go, that, that's what happens nowadays. Um, if they all had coronavirus, you could have had the coronavirus too. All the coronavirus players up against each other, because they've all got it, they might as well just play against each other. Playing the playstations and stuff. <laughs> uh, fantasy tennis. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> that sounds worse than it could be. Uh... <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I'm going to do another cheesy link here. Are you ready for this, Matthew? Well, well, Michael, it is Valentine's Day because I want you to dress <laughs> up as a tennis player. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Either way. Either way. Um, what a racket. Let's just turn them off now. Um, yeah, so um, I was going to do a link there, but I forgot what I was going to do. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I wasn't a fantasy last week at Quick at Twitter, um, down in England, because we beat England in the Six Nations. Way. Did you like that? Can I link to that? Did you like that? Well, well, since enough, it kind of felt like a fantasy, you know, because like, you, you almost had the, you know, it was, it was better than. It was better than anything else, I think, in my lifetime. It just felt unbelievable, the the ecstasy, ecstasy that you could feel from that game was just unbelievable. I mean, I know, yeah, I'm, I'm, fine, I'm struggling still from the weekend because it was just unreal. Um, I mean, Scotland, somehow, I don't know, I, like, I actually can't say, I believe I'm saying these words, Scotland somehow managed to win at Twickenham for the first time since 1983. Um, and, you know, we were talking about Finn Russell, uh, last weekend, I didn't think Van Russell had the best of games, strangely enough. But mm. strangely enough, Scotland were dominant over over England. I mean, some of the stats that that Scotland pulled up were almost at sort of the levels of you know the All Black sort of level. I mean, if you think about the carries, you know, I've got some stats here. You know, even though the game finished six eleven, if you think about it, that sounds like a close game. But when you look at the stats, it's not. You know, England had sixty six carries 
Scotland had 128 carries. Out of those carries, they made 540 metres, um, and England only made 300, 358. So Scotland were very dominant in the carries, um, the carries and metres made tackles as well. Scotland only had you know 95 tackles and missed eight of them. England had to make 174 tackles, of which 27 were missed. And the penalties conceded, you know, England conceded 15 penalties to Scotland's six. Um, Scotland never lost a line out all game. England lost two. Scotland obviously won all of the 15 that they had. Um, and even though I thought England would, England were bigger, uh, stronger in the scrum, I thought they'd be dominant. England won five scrums. Scotland won six scrums um, at the weekend. Those are the sorts of stats that I thought, you know, Scott, I mean, the only thing was the actual scoreline because, you know, England six, Scotland 11, I don't think was the full story. What those stats show is the scoreline was a lot closer um, than the play really deserved. I thought, if, I mean, if Scotland or New Zealand did that game, would have been six, probably 40. Because um, normally, you know, Scotland would beat England and it would be a close game and we might be lucky or whatever. There was no luck in that. Scotland were very clinical. Scotland were very confident. Scotland looked like a top two nation um, on Saturday. We went into Twickenham. We outperformed the champions. Um, and I've got nothing but, you know, nothing but um, positives to say about that team because everything Scotland did, try wise, uh, Van der Merva scored an absolute unbelievably try. He was a monster of a player. Scored an absolutely... I mean, he got managed to get past two or three players, just storming past them, rolling over, getting the try. Um, every kick Scotland done was very good. I mean, Russell, even though he missed some of the... He, he wasn't the best at, at kicks all game. I think that was the poor part of his performance. Stuart mm. Hogg uh, took that mantle on. Some of his kicking game was unbelievable. I mean, kicks into the corner that you just... You wouldn't see anywhere other than maybe the All Blacks. Mm. Um, Stuart Hogg was just unbelievable um, some of the kicks were just monsters Yeah, they pressured England all game they didn't let up England didn't know where they were coming or going they looked they looked pretty shell-shocked um, mm. and that was not the game I was expecting I thought Scotland might show a bit of glimpses they might maybe outdo England but I thought England ultimately could out-muscle us Good none thing. of that just a couple minutes left on the show, um, but also uh, just to let you know, Scotland has made three changes for this weekend's game against Wales at Motherfield. Uh, the game's tomorrow. The other game's at, uh, England against Italy, and the game Sunday, Ireland against France. But Scotland's first home game, Matthew, what do you think against Wales? Well, in typical form, it's just unfortunate because some of our best players actually on Saturday are out injured. I mean, you said the changes, Jamie Ritchie, Sean Maitland and Cameron Redpath, who I thought was our, arguably one of our best players on Saturday. All of those three teams were injured and they were having to had come out, which will weaken Scotland, especially Cameron Redpath. I think he might be a loss this Saturday. But from what I understand, you know, Wales are having their injury problems too. I don't know the team, but from what I understand, five Wales players from their win over Ireland at the weekend have actually um, had to be dropped because of injury. So, you know, Scotland are having a few injury problems, but Wales seem to be having it worse. Consistently wise, I think this is the big game because we've shown what we can do against England. We've shown we can compete, we can better the best, arguably the best team in the tournament. We've shown we can do that. 
this game's big because can we keep the consistency up? Can we now go and win on home turf against, against Wales? Can we go on and win the Six Nations? I think all these questions will be answered on Saturday. So good luck to Scotland this weekend and we'll be back next weekend here on Indie Live Regio.